Hey, CC Veers, uh, you're in for quite a treat this weekend. Uh, Pastor Dane is going to be preaching, and I don't know if many of you know this, but when Pastor Dane left Oklahoma, his home state, which we're not going to hold against him, when he left Oklahoma and first came to California, those were difficult days for him. In fact, as you learn more and more of Dane Johnson's story, you'll know that he's been through quite a difficult road, not only in the early days of his trip to Cali California, but also uh, in bringing the church from uh, Lark Ellen over to this campus as he was the executive pastor at that time, and also just in some of the health problems he's faced uh, over the last few months and years. But if you know Dane Johnson, you know that he's a fighter, that he never gives up, that he's a great man of integrity. And rather than pick on him like I usually do, and we go back and forth, and we only do that because we're so close to each other, I want to honor him in the way that he deserves to be honored. He is a man of God, and he has been studying the Word. He loves the Word of God, and I'm sure that the Spirit of God is going to use him to speak something very, very important into your life. He is a man's man. Most of the men at CCV know him as a great man of integrity, a great man of character. And these days, he's quite a lesser man as he's lost so much weight. But the more weight he's lost, the more spiritual he's become. And he's ready to deliver the word. So right now, would you give Dane Johnson a huge CCV welcome as he comes to preach? Thank you. Thank you. You know, there's no, uh, there's no truth to the rumor that I left Oklahoma right in front of the marshal and that they were, they were chasing me down and the sheriff was after me. I uh, would like for you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Philippians chapter 4 as we get started here today. I want to say a special welcome to those who are watching us live online. It is awesome to have you here today and hope that uh, during the course of our time together, that uh, you'll experience something from the Word of God that will challenge your thinking and force you uh, to make some changes in your life that ultimately will draw you closer to, to the Lord. It's why, we, why we're here. You know, we're in this series of messages, Life in 140. Uh, for those of you who, are, who live in Twitter world, you know that Twitter limits you to 140 or less characters uh, when you post a tweet online. Uh, for those of you who could not care less about Twitter world, um, uh, what, basically what we're doing is we're taking relatively small passages of Scripture that carry a powerful punch and trying to bring those passages of Scripture to light and, uh, and use them to uh, draw closer to God. Uh, Jeff kicked this series off last weekend telling a story about a turtle in a, uh, a sand bunker at a golf course. You remember this story? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were playing golf north of Louisville, Kentucky, and we came around the, the, this green, and there was this huge bunker, and it was pristine. No one had been in it all day, uh, and, and it, except for this, this turtle. And the turtle, you could see where he had crawled back and forth uh, across this thing. It was a huge bunker, and when he would get to the edge, well, then he'd kind of just uh, turn around and wander back the other way, and, uh, and the truth is that if, if he didn't get out of this bunker, ultimately he would, have, he would have died. Now, I've had a number of you ask me this week, tell me though, did Jeff remove, did he save the turtle? Did he take the turtle out of the bunker? And, and I wish that I could say the answer is yes. But you would think that a, the senior pastor of a church would be the most compassionate and loving and mercy, merciful person on the planet, but apparently yours is not. 
I, on the other hand, being the merciful and gracious and compassionate pastor that I am, went over to rescue this turtle. Now, what I've learned, what I learned as I got closer, this was not just any ordinary turtle. This was a snapping turtle. <laughs> Serious. And, and Jeff said he was a baby turtle, but he was probably, I'm going to guess he was something like this big around. I mean, he was a legit turtle, right? And, and, as I, uh, uh, and what I've come to conclude is that Jeff, it wasn't that he wasn't compassionate. It was just that he was afraid of the turtle. That's why he didn't take him out. But I knew that this needed to happen, so I took a couple of my golf clubs over there, and I went to pick him up. Now, most turtles, uh, they, they, what do they do? They retreat back into their shell, right? Not this dude. This guy was a legit dude in Turtleville. And, and, and he started hissing at me. He's like... You know, and he's snapping at my golf clubs. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to help you here. You know, I'm trying to save your life. And in the midst of that, he's fussing with me. So I, I ended up getting him picked up and I put him over on the grass. And uh, we went and hit our next shot. We came back by. He was gone. He had already made his way down to the watering pond because that's where life could be found. I told Jeff, I said, you know what? That'll preach. That right there will preach because how many of us live our lives in various bunkers uh, at periods of our life? We wander around in the desert and, and, and we're, we're, we're aimless many times. We, we know we don't belong here. We know we need to make a change. We, we desperately need it to happen and probably sooner than later. And, but yet when God comes around and tries to help us, many times we snap at him or we start hissing at him because I, I can do this on my own. I can make my own way. And so that'll preach right there, you think? Yeah. And so I, I, um, I, I want to with your permission, I'd like to maybe nudge you out of a bunker today. Uh, this is a, a huge bunker in life that, that comes along for most of us at one period or another in our life. And, and I, I want to I try to help us because I know that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full. And I'm hoping that you won't hiss at me, that you won't snap at me, and, uh, but you'll, you'll just embrace what I have to share today, and that you'll do what Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, when he admonished the, the, the church at Philippi, that these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he says, practice these things. It's not enough for us to come to church and to hear more information and to read it in Scripture and to nod in, a, in yeah, that's right. At some point, gang, I'm challenging you today, we need to start practicing this principle that we're going to share. And when we do, we will experience the fullness of life that Jesus said he came to give us. And this is one of those things that if we could embrace this discipline of the fully devoted follower, we could experience that full life. And it's this discipline, contentment. You don't hear a lot about contentment today. Let me ask you a question. You be honest with yourself. Your life as it is. Not as you wish it was. Not as you remember it once being. Your life as it is right now. Are you content? Can you honestly say, 
I am. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse one or 11 beginning, Paul addresses this subject and he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to get along, uh, live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then we come to this passage that this is our tweet passage today. You can go home and retweet this one. Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This may very well be one of the most quoted passages and perhaps the most misquoted passages of Scripture in all of New Testament. Uh, If you watch a little bit of sports today, there's a good chance you're going to see an athlete who has written Philippians 4.13 on his shoes or on his wrist or on the anti-glare tape under his eyes. You might remember uh, Tim Tebow. He spent an entire season with this passage under his eyes while being the quarterback at the University of Florida. John Bones Jones, a great mixed martial arts fighter, has it tattooed prominently across his right chest so that all the world can see while he's fighting that I can do all things. Now, in most cases, and it's interesting, by the way, did you know that pastors are getting in on this as well? That pastors are getting tattoos. And I'm not really sure it's appropriate, but the pastors are getting tattoos of Philippians 4 and verse 13. Now, in most cases, in referring to this passage, athletes are saying, we believe that we can achieve anything. They seem to to see this verse as an inspiration to work harder and to train longer, to persevere through uh, difficult times, and if they can just believe, then they too can do all things. Now, aside from the fact that there's a second part of the verse that says, through Jesus, through him who strengthens me, uh, the the fact that they see this, this passage as some kind of an endorsement For us, somehow God is on my side, therefore I can do anything. I can achieve anything. It's just off base. This is not what this verse is saying. Last week, Jeff told a story about his friend who wanted to to dunk a basketball in a game. You remember this? And he worked very hard for four years, training and persevering, until finally that night came. And during a game, he went up. And and he threw down that tomahawk dunk, great ending to the story, and it rocked the rim and it knocked it off of its moorings and the place went nuts and everyone began to cheer. Let me just tell you something, Philippians 4.13 had nothing to do with his friend dunking. That no matter uh, what the athlete might say, that God's promise and Paul's observation that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, had nothing to do with his ability to dunk. I have my own dunk story. Uh, when I was in high school, I was actually a pretty good athlete. Uh, it was probably 75 pounds ago. Uh, I could jump uh, pretty high. I, in fact, I could dunk a volleyball on a regulation basketball rim. 
And I couldn't do a basketball because my stumpy little fingers wouldn't control the ball for me. So, but I could dunk a volleyball in, on a regulation rim. We were playing in, uh, in the playoffs down in Weatherford, Oklahoma, at Southwest Oklahoma State. It's a huge gym. It was packed with people. The, the floor seemed like it had extra bounce in it that night. Uh, I was particularly excited because we were in the playoffs, and, and, and I had a little extra pep in my step. And during warm-ups before the game, I kid you not, I was coming so close to dunking the ball. I literally was, it was, I was getting above it, and I was throwing it down, but it was hitting the back of the rim and bouncing out over and over again. And I was like, man, I'm so close. During the game, one of my teammates stole the ball. And I broke off down the court, and he, he hit me at midcourt with the basketball. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, I remember a story where Dane told us that he slugged a bodybuilder in the mouth in the, in the gymnasium, and then he had a punchline after that. Is this going to be another one of those stories? No, this is true. <laughs> this is a true story right here. I got the ball at half court, and this went through my mind. This is the time. Right now. Now, the fact that I had time to think tells you how slow I was running down the court, but I thought, this, this is it. I'm going to dunk right now in front of all these people. And I went up with every fiber of my being, and I threw that thing down with everything I had. It hit the front of the rim. I landed on my back on the floor. The air went out of my lungs. The stars hit into my eyes, and people began to chuckle like you are right now. <laughs> there were guys like that. White guys can't jump, dude, you know? And, and, and my friends are like, oh, my teammates are like, oh, you're so embarrassed for me. So was I. I want to tell you something. God didn't let me down that day because he had fa failed to follow through on Philippians 4.13 because that's not what this passage is saying. Tim Tebow gets it right talking about this verse. He says a lot of people don't interpret this verse right. Most people think it means I can do anything on the football field or I can make a lot of money, but that's not exactly what it's talking about there. It's saying I can be content with anything. See, when you're a Christian, you can be content because God has put you where you are. That's really a different view. I know that I have Christ in me, so I can do whatever he wants me to do, and that's how I approach everything. And so if this passage is not about me being able to do anything just because God is on my side, what exactly is happening here? And this is what I want to talk to you about today because experiencing contentment is really the goal. Two things in particular that I want you to see. The first one is this, that contentment is often learned through difficult circumstances. Paul, you might remember in Scripture, used to be called Saul of Tarsus. And Saul, had, his life mission was to persecute Christians and to kill them if possible. You remember the story? God comes in and interrupts his life and changes his heart, changes his name to Paul, and then changes his life mission from persecuting Christians to making Christians. Paul goes out and attacks this mission just like he did before with everything he had. And, and we know that he experienced a lot of things as a result of this 
ministry of reconciliation. He lists them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, because of his ministry, he says, I have been beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and three times I was shipwrecked. A, day, a night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and robbers and countrymen and Gentiles and in the city and out in the wilderness and on the sea. He says, I have been in labor and hardship and through sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've been cold and I've been naked. And right about now, if you're like me, you're thinking, man, I thought my life was tough. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. From prison. Having experienced all of these things in his ministry, now he finds himself thrown into prison by the authorities because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus. And in the midst of all of these hard times, Paul writes these words, I have learned to be content. This word, learned, it isn't book learning. This isn't about you reading about how to be content. This is learning. This is being instructed to be content. This is learning through experience to be content. This word circumstance, when Paul says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances, is a great word because many translators actually use the same word for circumstance that they use for God. It's an abstract reference to God that basically says that wherever your circumstances are, God is there as well. They are inextricably connected, your circumstances and God. And Paul, over time, learned that in the midst of God's presence to be content because of God's presence. This is what this passage is saying. Which brings us to the second point that we must learn that contentment is for all circumstances. When I asked you earlier, what, what is your contentment quotient? Did you, like me, did, you, is, did your mind go something like this? Well, yes, Dane, I, I, I'm content. But man, if I had this, I could really be content. If, if my marriage was just a little stronger, I know that, yeah, I'm content, but boy, if my kids were a little more respect, if they were doing better in school, if, is, is, that, is that what happens to most of you when you think about being content? Yeah, I'm content, but we've been called to be content in all circumstances. When things are good, we should learn to be content. It doesn't mean that we don't want to, uh, more. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to do better and strengthen our marriages and whatnot. It just means that in the midst of doing that, that we are content with what we have right this minute. Because God is in this minute. And so God, uh, circumstances and contentment go hand in hand regardless of whether they are good ones, bad ones, or indifferent. 
Paul, he got this. He understood that it was okay to want better, just like you and I. We, we try harder. We, we, we want to do things in a more effective way. Uh, but, but, and Paul recognized that because even though he had seen the hand of God rescue him time and time again, even though he had seen God use him in amazing ways in his ministry, in the midst of these hard times, in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, Paul asked God to relieve him from a thorn in the flesh. In fact, he confesses, I asked three times, because I really did want relief. I want relief, God, from this seemingly unbearable physical condition that I have. God's response? No. God says, Paul, I'm with you in the midst of your circumstance. You've seen that. I love you. I want what's best for you. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. God still teaching Paul how to be content. Even as much progress as Paul had made in this moment, God teaching Paul to be content. And Paul was learning along the way. Oh, how I long for the day that our church could respond as Paul does here. I long for the day when you could respond as Paul does in this passage. And it's someday by God's grace and his help that I would be able to respond as Paul did. When God says no, when God says my, my grace is sufficient, Paul's response, most gladly therefore I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And then he says, I will. Gang, contentment is learned behavior. This is a decision that Paul is making, daily making a decision, I will be content. You and I need to learn to daily, maybe hourly or even moment by moment, learn to decide that in this moment, in this circumstance, good, bad, or indifferent, I will be content. It is a learned behavior, a decision that we have to make. And Paul says, I will be content with weaknesses, with insults, and distresses, persecutions, and difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. See, Paul, he had to learn this most valuable lesson of a true Christ follower. It's called surrender. Surrender goes against everything I stand for as a man. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to give in. I want to win. I don't want to surrender. I want to be on top in this thing. And God calls us to 100% without reservation, open-handed, open arms, open hearts to surrender. Paul learned this. This is our challenge today. And now, as he writes 
to the church at Philippi from a Roman prison. Paul, having learned to be content in all circumstances, says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I love the Darby translation of this verse because it says, I have strength for all things in him who gives me power. 1997, I got sick. I was sick for 18 months. Some of you who were around back in those days had a ringside seat to my own personal train wreck. I, uh, I got to be real honest with you. I, I did everything I could to get well. I went to every doctor in town. I went to every specialist. They poked and prodded and pulled and, and removed blood and did tests and scans. I went to the psychologist. I went to the psychiatrist. I, man, I just wanted to know the solution to my issue, to my circumstance. I prayed. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, man, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and that power. I pray that you would unleash it on me and that you would heal my body. I know you can do it, God. I, uh, I searched the scriptures. Obviously, I was doing something wrong here. God would never do this to me. So I began to look in scripture. What's going on? There must be something here. And, and, I, and so I, I prayed and I, and I studied the scriptures. I started making deals with God. You ever make deals with God? Oh, I did. Hey, listen, Lord. Hey, I know you can do this now. You heal me, I'll get up on the roof of my house and I will shout to, to, to as loud as I can that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and he has raised me up and he has healed my body. And by the way, I'll throw in this. I promise I'll never lust, I'll never lie, I'll never do anything that's bad. I'll be perfect. You just heal me first. God's response, my grace is sufficient. Not yet, not now. I was miserable, seeking the solution, trying to fix it. Finally, it dawned on me one day that maybe, maybe God was trying to get my attention. And I've been so busy trying to find a solution, trying to get out of my mess that I had missed that he was just trying to get my undivided attention. See, that's, that's pretty common practice. We try to fix our problem. We try to run from our problem. We try to get someone else to bring the solution to our problems. And what we need to do is listen to the solution. God's trying to get my attention. Finally, one day I prayed this prayer, and I said, God, I know that you're trying to get my attention. I want to learn whatever it is that you have for me. And I don't want to be well until I've learned it all, even if it means being sick for the rest of my life. Now, let me tell you a little secret about that prayer. I didn't mean any of it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean none of it, man. Let me tell you something. That was the last thing I wanted. I knew it's what God wanted to hear me say, but it was, I, I didn't want to be uh, sick uh, even one more day, let alone for the rest of my life. 
But I knew it's what he wanted to, wanted to hear from me. And so I was praying it, just hoping and praying that was going to be enough. My grace is sufficient. The day came when I stood in my driveway and I prayed that prayer. And I meant it. Every word of it. I don't want to be well physically until I have heard from you, God, whatever it is you're trying to teach me, even if it means being sick the rest of my life. Gang, that was the day that I started getting well. I learned this this thing called surrender. I've been so busy trying to fix it, trying to get out of my dark place, that I was much better off if I just would surrender to him, surrender my weaknesses to God, and begin to live in his strength. And I learned how much I really do love that old hymn that we grew up singing in church. All to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender all I surrender all all to thee my blessed savior i surrender all oh that lesson has served me well i'm telling you that from time to time i still forget i got to be real honest with you sometimes i fuss with god I wander around my own little bunkers from time to time, aimlessly trying to fix my own self. And I start hissing at God and fussing with him when he tries to help me out. But at the end of the day, I I eventually come to that point, that amazing, unchanging truth that I, gang, I am incapable of escaping most of life's sand bunkers under my own strength. And even the ones that I can handle on my own are much more doable through the strength of Christ Jesus who lives in me. I'm uh, living this lesson right now. My oldest son, Matt, and his fiance Helen, got married at the beginning of May. My parents came out to visit. They were here for about a month, and during that time, I noticed something wasn't right with my mother. She was, uh, she's 73, she was, she was forgetting things, she was repeating herself, um, and I knew something wasn't quite right. They went home, on Father's Day, she fell and broke her hip. Um, Now, she's been recovering quite well from the surgery on her hip. But something has happened in her mind. 
Uh, I was able to go back and see my parents this last weekend in, in the St. Louis suburb. And I would guess that maybe 30% of the time that I was there, over four days, my mom was coherent and knew me and we were able to communicate. We shared memories and we laughed together and it was awesome. But then about 70% of the time, she was not there. Last night before I got up to preach, my dad called. My mother is in a hospital now and pretty much is not there at all in her mind. Um, The doctors tell us that what they think is that it's uh, some kind of an aggressive and rapidly advancing dementia. They told us we need to take snapshots of our mom right now because she's very quickly going to fade away into the fog. I don't know how you feel about your mom. That right there is hard for me. This is a circumstance that I would not choose of my own, even if God is there, and I know he is. My dad is scared to death. They've been married 55 years. They've been together since grade school. My, my dad gave my mom an engagement ring when she was a junior in high school. They've been together a long time, and he's afraid that he's losing her. I, I told him, I said, Dad, you know, the Bible says is that when we die, when we go to heaven, that we get a new body. And one day, my mom's going to get a new body. One day when we go to heaven, we'll have new bodies too. We'll recognize one another. We're not losing her dad. It's like she's going on a long vacation from us. And God knows she probably needs a break from you and I. (laughs) These are hard times. And it tests what you believe. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe that his grace is sufficient? And are you able to be content in the midst of the darkest time imaginable? I know that the enemy comes along right about now. He already has. Hey, Dane, do you really tell me that a loving God would do that to your mom? Hey, Dane, is dementia, is that hereditary? Are you next? All this stuff just comes creeping in. Darkness shadows come in and doubt and fear begin to sweep in over you it's no coincidence that when we did the uh, uh, when we entered into the agreement with God a few weeks ago and I put this bracelet on and I told God that at least for the next 90 days that I'm not going to give in to fear 
And Satan's like, really? Let's give that a go. Let me tell you something about all that, those doubts and fears and that anxiety that comes creeping. And that's not of God. That's the enemy who's trying to take you out. He's trying to rob you of contentment. Paul, having experienced all that he experienced, sitting in this prison, says, listen, folks, I've learned this. It hasn't been easy, but I've learned to be content in all circumstances. And in that moment, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I hope that you can say that today. More importantly, I hope you can live it tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and thank you for your grace. We know it's sufficient even in the times when we come into these dark situations and we we know it's going to be hard. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would remind us of who you are. Our creator, our sustainer, our provider, our protector, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the highest of heights and the lowest of lows. the lover of my soul. And as we are reminded of this, would you help us to be content? We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.